So now let's turn to the text again. Uh, your eyes uh, drawn to verse 9, Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 9. But beloved, and this is a beautiful passage because uh, they've just been uh, strongly shaken <laughs> with a very tough rebuke and a warning. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things, things that accompany salvation. Again, if you really have salvation, they said, we're going to be able to see it. Jesus said it this way, you'll know them by their fruits. Though we speak in this manner, though we speak in a very, uh, very uh, admonishing manner, rebuking manner, exhortation manner. Verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work. And labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for your blessing on your word. Lord, I pray that you would just fill this place with your spirit, remove all of our distractions, put the enemy at bay that we would hear from Jesus. Remove me, as it were, once again from the equation that your word and your spirit would be magnified. And Lord, we would leave this place more in love with you, more conform the image of Jesus than we walked in. Fill us, Lord, with your peace, your conviction, your Rebuke whatever is needed for each person. Lord, for you would know, we know that you do it all to bring us that place where we're just an empty vessel being poured into by your spirit. It's, your name, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our faith in Christ is an invisible act, isn't it? Right? Nobody can, you don't, it's like you have some gold document that you're wearing on you, right? It's an invisible act of absolute belief in Jesus Christ, in his finished work, in his blood. Where we fall upon, Tuan, you mentioned the word mercy this morning, we fall upon the mercy of God. And we receive his grace and forgiveness. We are nothing without the grace of God. We don't deserve to even bear the name of Jesus. Do you recognize that? We do not deserve, I don't deserve to be born in America. Sometimes I wonder, why, Lord, was I born here and other people are born dirt poor? And yet we're some of the most complaining people you'll ever find. We've received his mercy. We've received his forgiveness. But although our salvation is an invisible transaction that takes place on the inside by the Spirit of God, no one else could see it happen. It's not like it's some kind of movie you can watch. It takes place at the Spirit level. It's in our heart. It's in our soul. But guess what? The evidence later shows up where? On the outside. Salvation takes place on the inside, but the fruit shows on the outside. As I mentioned already, Jesus in Matthew 7, 16 said, you will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. If it's really an apple tree, a healthy rooted apple tree, guess what it's going to bear? Apples. 
You can drive up to Carter Mountain soon, and you can see all the apples you want. You can wait in 8 million lines of cars if you do it on a Saturday, so don't. But uh, uh, it's just, just good advice there. Edible and useful apples. And if we're actually Christians, we're going to bear fruits that are consistent with the character of Jesus. His character becomes our character. Not that we're perfect, but we become Christians, little, little images of the Lord. We become useful to those who are saved and to the lost. We become useful to save people, the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters, and useful to the lost. And last week, as we were looking at the unashamed gospel, to remember, as, we, as you focus on the gospel this week, as you focus on things that accompany salvation, you think about your own salvation, Lord, help me be more grateful for salvation. Um, the power of the gospel is the key to our life. I was thinking this week about uh, so many churches that have now deviated away uh, uh, from really preaching the scriptures and really preaching the gospel, and there's a ton of them. And what they're focused on now is everyone's felt needs. Everyone's felt needs. And by the way, no one can meet your felt needs. You have to, have to be changed by the power of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit can meet your needs. Amen? Not really wise words, not TED Talks, not really motivational speeches. None of that stuff can do anything. It has to be the power of the gospel. But the power of the gospel changes people, as we see here with this church that is being written to. I think we'll do well to spend the rest of September. We don't have that much left in September. We're, we're actually right, uh, are we past the halfway point now? Yes. Yeah, so we're right, we're cruising through September. Spend the rest of this month just being thankful for your salvation. Make it a focal point. Say, Lord, I'm making a focal point in my prayer life to be thankful for my salvation. And the more you're thankful for it, the more fruit's going to come from it. Saved above everything else. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in the Word, A Visible Faith. And looking back again, we covered verses 1 through 8, and we saw that admonishment, that exhortation to grow and build on the foundations of our salvation and into maturity and growing in the Spirit. And when that happens, we'll have a multiplication of believers. But the writer then uh, warns of returning. We saw last week... He, one of the things he warned, to, warned of was returning to a works-based, superficial faith that seeks to blend in with an improving world and then diminishes Christ and his incredible sacrifice for our sins. If you're trying to blend in, if you're trying to just kind of, I don't want to, I want to be just that secret agent Christian. I just want to kind of blend in so the world doesn't think I'm odd. That's not a good thing. That's not coming from God. It's not coming from the Lord. He's not giving us that spirit of fear. The wider warning uh, that we looked at uh, two weeks ago um, is that some, in fact, Jesus says many, will taste test, we talked about this, they'll taste test the Christian faith rather than be born again, transformed, growing, and they'll fall away and they'll return to the world into some self-willed and self-made form of faith. There's lots of forms of faith, aren't there? Lots of churches, lots of denominations. 
Some are vibrant and filled with spirit, and some are dead. And I'm not telling you, I mean, there's, we're, Calvary Chapel, we're not the only church that's preaching truth. There's lots of many. There's good churches in this town. I'm pa- friends with some of those pastors, and God is using them in a great way. We're not the only one. But in our church and every other church, we have people that are still lost, too. If they don't, they've not really been transformed. And although the writer of Hebrews warns those forsaking the grace of Christ, he transitions here in verse 9 by saying, and this is me paraphrasing uh, what I believe the writer is saying. This is just a paraphrase. This is not new scripture or anything. This is just to help you understand. This is what my view of the writer is saying. He says something along these lines. We see the legitimate buds of salvation's fruit in your life. And we're confident that you'll not be offended by this letter, but you'll be spurred to recommit to the areas of neglect or apathy and spiritual plateaus. He said, you're not going to be offended by it. We're confident of better things. You won't be bothered by this letter, and not in the sense that you're saying, that's it, that was too hard to teach, and I'm out of here. Rather, you'll say, I really needed that. I need to reinvest in my love of the gospel. Sam's preaching last week was right on time by the Spirit. Reinvest in love for the gospel. And so we want to look at two things he says, uh, the, the writer here says, that we're confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation. And we want to look at the things this morning, two of them, I'm not going to have a three-point bullet this morning, just two, that kind of show what this church was made of, or what these people were made of. There was some in the faith, that some in the fellowship there that may, may have been lost for certain, but there was also this group that were visibly walking in faith. They had a visible faith. You could see the life of Christ in them. And when people look at you, do they see the life of Christ in you? And if you see the life of Christ in you, it gives you a confidence. And so other people can be confident on your behalf, but you can be confident as well. So the first thing I want to look at, if you're taking notes, is what I've titled Confident in Love, with just two bullet points. And if you look at verse 10, this is kind of the, uh, the focal point of where we get this uh, confidence of love. He says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor. Anyone that says when you come into the Christian faith that uh, you'll just get to sit back and do nothing has never read the Scriptures. Notice the words here. Your work and labor. Now, you're not laboring for your salvation. You're now laboring in salvation. Big difference, right? You can't work for your salvation. You can't beat yourself on the back like Martin Luther did. You can't earn your salvation. But when you get saved, you become a laborer in the vineyard. Amen? You're clipping grapevines. You're doing whatever Jesus is. You're like getting the insects off. You're fertilizing the ground. You are a laborer in the vineyard, not a seated fan up in the third row watching, saying, hey, everyone, y'all doing great out there on the field. Nearly every word in verse 10 gives us insight to the motives and the service outflow of authentic believers changed by the Spirit and how God views their service. Notice that God is watching. He's not forgotten your work. God is watching, and he's noticing the efforts of these imperfect, just like me, just like you, imperfect believers, but yet authentic believers. Authentic believers. You know that uh, 
even, even the most precious diamonds, somewhere on there is a defect, right? You get, if you have close enough magnification, there is a defect. But there's a big difference between a real diamond and a cubic zirconia, right? Right? There's a big difference. One's authentic, one's not. Even imperfect diamonds are still real. And imperfect Christians are real, and God can see, and he notices the difference. And God's not oblivious to the real sacrifice and consistent work of his saints. He's not missing it. Matter of fact, he's keeping a record of your lifetime work. Someday you're going to give an account of everything you did for the Lord. And if you did nothing, that will be the account. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything, we're going to give an account for it. But in Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Boy, there's times you feel like losing heart. You're like, I did all this and no one said thank you. I did all this and I'm wiped out. I did all this and no one came. You ever done that? You know, God doesn't care about numbers. He cares about obedience and effort. If I came here today and not a single one of you showed up, God is not even slightly phased. He could care less. Well, he does want you to be here. But I'm saying, on my account, he's saying, look, if I send you to preach, I don't care if there's not a single person that just get up and preach anyway. Because he looks at our obedience, our willingness to serve. And if in in due season, God says, look, sometimes you won't see the results. You can plant. And you just come out and watch every day. I planted that thing and nothing's coming up yet, right? But keep planting. Keep laboring. A blessing and a reward will eventually come. If you've been planting for a while, keep planting. Keep laboring. And if you do all that and you don't see the results, you can still thank God you're saved. Amen? Notice the motive. God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love. The labor is love. It's not for recognition. It's not for a pat on the back. It's not for a title, a reputation. It's not even for a paycheck. It's not for some feel-good emotion. None of those things. The writer says it's love was your motivation, is your motivation, Self-denying love. If it's not love, it's going to fade, brother and sister. If it's not love that's your motivation, it will fade. I'm telling you right now, if it's not love, it's going to fade. Often pretty quickly. You see people end a divorce. If the relationship is all about you're hot and I'm hot, <laughs> those of you that are married a long time, you know that that doesn't last forever, does it? <laughs> That hot will only take you so far, right? <laughs> it has to be love. It has to be something far deeper than that. I'm just using today's vernacular, folks. That's it. It's the way people talk now. And that was not the way they preached in the 1800s, I'm telling you right now. But, uh, but, but this is modern America, and that's the way people think. And you see it on the newsstands. You walk up, and there it is on the, uh, every, every newsstand. Us and Cosmo and all this stuff. And all, uh, if you look great, feel great, if you have the new, latest diet, all of that stuff, none of those motivations last. How many grapefruit diets and everything can you do? All these different things and motivation. 
is important for everything we do in life. But when it comes to serving Christ, it has to be out of what? Love. It has to be motivated by genuine love. And notice where the love is directed. Of love which you have shown toward, you could circle it in your Bible, his name. Isn't that interesting? That you, if your love is from the Spirit, is actually directed toward Jesus himself. I'm not really preaching to you this morning, in a sense. I'm preaching to the Lord, not, I can't teach him anything, but as an offering, if you will. As ju it's just a, an offering of incense. Lord, this is, the, this is the best I can do. It ain't that good, but it's the best I can do. And when you worshiped earlier, you were worshiping to Jesus. The best you, it's an offering to him. And when you serve other people, he says it should be directed to him. If it's genuine love, it will be directed to him. The love is for Christ, but it flows and it shows itself as service to others, primarily in the body of Christ. Now, we do serve the lost, but this, this letter here is talking about ministering to the brothers and sisters. You minister to your family. Most of you are probably not cooking dinner every night for your neighbors, right? But you do cook dinner every night for who? Your family, right? Now, you still care about the neighbors, and you still would... You know, there you got the flu, you'd bring them chicken soup, and, but you, your day in and day out service is inside the family, but then you minister outside. He's saying your love is showing itself ministering inside the body. He says in that you minister to the saints, first to Jesus' name, but to the saints, and you do minister. In other words, it started, it's continual, it's ongoing. Even if even if you have the time and availability, if you have the time and availability, and this goes for even tonight, the, the prayer thing I mentioned, if you have the time and availability, you will typically, you and I will typically not make the time to go to a Bible study, a prayer meeting, go minister to someone like the Hilliard House where we have the single mom operation once a month, incarcerated teens at Bon Air. Go to the hospital and minister and pray with someone who is, who is just weary and, and at their wit's end. You'll not make the time to disciple someone until you love Christ enough that the sacrifice of your own life, your own interest, your own whatever supersedes. They say, Lord, Lord, I love you enough that I care not about all these things that are so important to me and I'm going to go love these people. You'll not make the time until it's born in love. You won't make the time. You'll rationalize. You'll have, it's, it's true, if it's important, you'll find a way. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. We'll always find an excuse, but love cuts through them and says, no, I must do this for Jesus' sake. The final phrase tells us that ministering to the saints is visible fruit. Just just. Seeing saints minister to other saints is visible fruit, and it's an ongoing work, and that, you do, and that you've ministered to the saints, and you do minister. I think you'd agree. Some people have big, grandiose, look how amazing I am for the Lord. You can see it on certain ministries if you watch on TV. You're like, you can only take a few minutes of it anyway, but you can try it just to see. Look how amazing I am. Grandiose things that glorify themselves. And we saw two weeks ago that some of those same people 
and some almost certainly being ministry leaders and even uh, pastors and maybe even famous ones uh, down through the ages, will hear the frightening words from Jesus, depart from me, I never knew you. And that un- un- it's kind of hard for us to even fathom. But Jesus said many will fall into that cord. Not, not a few, many. We know Jesus doesn't exaggerate. When he says many, he means many. As they list all their ministry accomplishments in front of the Lord, and Jesus says, none of those things mattered. They were all for you. They weren't love for me. You weren't born in love, and so your works weren't in love. Others will do, others in their lifetime will do the check the box, a lot of check the box stuff. Make sure I've got the minimum bases covered. Get to church X number of times this year. Give God a tip in the offering. Throw him a tip. Looks like I threw the waitress a tip. I'll throw God a tip. They can even be talked into helping and chipping in for obvious needs, but their heart just isn't in it. Their heart just isn't in it. It's begrudging giving. It's guilty giving. They don't really want to give it. They're actually bummed out while they're giving it. But they're not telling anybody, but God still sees the heart. Some other people, they do nothing at all. Nothing. They're not seeking any spiritual fame. They're not seeking any platform, but they're not seeking the Lord either. No urgency, no guilt, no begrudging because they won't give anyway. No begrudging, no love, no conviction. They won't even do the check the box things. Not that that will save you anyway. They're just comfortable in their own self-centered world. They have no fear of the things of God, no care or concern for the needs of others. They have a that's their problem attitude. Hey, that's their problem. They should have dealt with it. They made their bed, they can lie in it kind of attitude. And some of these still believe they're Christians. I told the Wednesday night group, I said, uh, or I told the men on Thursday night when we were talking to the LDS missionaries, uh, two young girls, two college-age girls, I said, let me ask you a question. What's the, how rude have people been to you when you've knocked on the door? They say, oh, you don't want to know. I said, oh, I have an idea. I've done street outreach. I've done door-to-door. I've done, I'm pretty sure I know. But I said, let me, I bet you some of those people told you they're Christians. They said, yeah. I said, I want to apologize on behalf of them all, and I can assure you most of them are not saved. If they cussed you out and they treated you rudely and everything else, they don't know the Jesus that saved my soul. Amen? That doesn't, that doesn't come from us. But lastly, we have some that have been totally changed by God. Would you agree the Apostle Paul was slightly changed? (laughs) I will kill Christians. Today I will love Christians. That is a 180, amen? That's why his his testimony is listed in the Scriptures three times. Three times in the book of Acts. Because it is a statement from God more than any other testimony, other than the, the testimonies of Christ and the resurrection the testimony of Paul is to be exhibit A from God that real salvation is radical change. That you, become, you go from unloving to loving, hateful to loving, racist to not racist, whatever it may be. Radical change. And so we have some that have been totally changed by God despite their flaws and imperfections like the diamond. They have them, but at the same time, they've adopted the desires and heart of Christ. 
and are being molded into his image. I hope that's all of you here today. I hope I can say being confident of better things for you, that you're being molded into the image of Christ, that from, we've been talking this year about being while becoming, that you can look back to January and say, God's done a work in my prayer life. God's done a work in my thought life. God's done a work in my generosity, that these kind of things, that you're being molded in the image of Christ, um, they recognize that they don't deserve the mercy of Jesus. Do you recognize that? don't deserve the mercy. You don't deserve the grace. You're thankful for it, but you know you don't deserve it. Keeps you humble, doesn't it? It should. They desire to serve the Lord out of obedience and gratitude. It's not a look at me thing. The more mature you get in the Lord, the less you care about anyone knowing how many things you did. You don't need any recognition for it. You don't need a backslap for it. I mean, those are th they're, they're wonderful if God sends them, but you don't need that. You're serving out of love. They simply can't remain callous. People that have been changed by the Lord cannot remain callous. They can't remain callous. They can't remain cold. They can't be begrudging anymore. They can't be apathetic because sincere gratitude of all Christ has done invades their soul in a good way, in a good way. It melts the coldness of heart and says, Lord, I now care about these little kids. I, I now care about the incarcerated kids. I now care about these struggling single. I now care about people that are ripped apart by divorce. I now care about people that are dying of cancer and all these things, whatever it may be. They're joyful and growing givers. Take a look here. Three things. They're joyful and growing givers of their uh, time and their talent and their treasures. And they've come to believe, if this is you, say, you know, I, I now am a joyful and growing giver. The, writers, the, 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 the people that the writer in Hebrews is talking to, he says, I see in your life, you're now joyful, growing givers. You minister your time, your talent, your treasure. And by the way, this whole ministering, we know was all three of these things. We know that they were tangibly meeting needs because uh, James preached on this. James says, you can't come up to someone and say, hey, be warm and keep on moving, right? We were, ta uh, we were talking about the, the men's thing. One of the guys that does uh, EMT talking about people that are drive-by Good Samaritans. They won't stop and help. They can just call 911 for the people. Yeah, there's somebody dying on the road. I, I don't have time to stop, but uh, you should probably get someone out there. Could you throw a blanket on them? Could you do anything? Right? So we know that they were helping in all these three areas. But those that are growing in joy and they're, uh, they're giving of their time, their talent, their treasure, believe. And I, I hope that you believe all three of these things. Number one, they believe that all they are and have belongs to God. Everything. Everything. Your right arm, your left arm, your aging brain, for those of you like me that are like more forgetful than you used to be, it all belongs to God. What's in the account, what's not in the account. The car that's working great or not so great at all. It all belongs to God. Number two, that the kingdom of God, not this world, is their home. Someone said, someone's, you can actually say that sometime this year. Someone says, so where, where's your home? In heaven. It's kind of really weird. I'm out there like, all right, you're one of those born-agains. You know, I got to, you know, uh, you know. 
If you haven't said it in a while, just tell them, you know, just, just pass them through. But you've got to believe that. You've got to believe this isn't your home. If you believe this is your home, then you're locked into everything this world has to offer you. And you're constantly focused on, how can, I, how can this world make me happy? How can this make me happy? If I can only get to that vacation, if I can only get this, if I can only get the promotion, if I can only have this relationship, all of those things, and none of them ever work, do they? Because as soon as you get there, the whole process starts all over again. Every time. And number three, those that are joyful, growing givers of time, treasure, believe that the will of God is the real place of peace and fulfillment. As Sam said last week, where is the will of God? And the word of God. The will of God is the real place of peace. And so you say, Lord, am I in your will? In other words, am I living life walking in the word? If I'm not, it's a good indicator of why I'm not having peace, why I'm not having joy, why I don't think of heaven as my home. I kind of think, well, Lord, I want to stay here until I'm a thousand, which isn't going to happen, right? And we start to say, Lord, it all belongs to you anyway, right? We release it. This is the attitude of what the writer sees. They have a sincere desire to care for and help their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And like the Good, like the good Samaritan, uh, those in the world who have been beaten down by sin and the enemy, again, it's not if you really care and love the body, you won't only love the body, you'll love lost people too. Because you already know, you'll, you'll also love the commandments of Jesus. And if Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, you won't despise that commandment, you'll love that commandment. He who loves me loves my commandments, he said. Book of 1 John. The difference, though, is that those that are authentic have been born again through the blood of Jesus by the love of the Father that sin is only begotten son, the very same love that saved them now flows out of them. Say it again. The very same love that saved them now flows out of them. If God plants supernatural love in you, it will do supernatural things in your life. Amen? If salvation is not a supernatural act, then you can expect nothing more than you taking a college course. I learned something. I'm a little bit improved. But if it's supernatural, it will produce a supernatural flow in your life. It's a work of the Spirit that God does in the saved soul that prompts and authenticates the desire to do the work of Jesus. I would never be able to manufacture a desire to do the work of the Lord, neither would you. I, if I was not saved, I can guarantee I would not be a pastor. Why some people would do it unsafe, I have no idea. Maybe, they, they, again, if you, I guess if you're looking for fame and popularity in certain segments, there, there's that. But... There's no way I would choose this role if I wasn't really saved. I'd say, Lord, this is what you've given me, a desire to reach people, to minister to people. And he'll give you the same desire in your sphere, in your home, mom and dad, in your community, in your workplace. He'll give you that desire. It comes from the Spirit. And not only to, not only to do the work of Jesus, but also to minister directly to Jesus. You're ministering him, your audience of one. As Pastor Joe Foch likes to say, you can't fake authentic, can you? can't fake authentic. Turn with me to Matthew 25 real quick. We've got one more bullet point to 
uh, cover, and we'll get to that in a second. But turn with me as we close this last thing. Matthew chapter 25. Matter of fact, if I, I reference Matthew 25 a lot. Uh, as many times as I've referenced it, I hope you'll sometime, if you haven't already, go and read Matthew 25, the entire chapter, uh, because it's pivotal in seeing the real work that God does in an authentic believer. Jesus gives a few different parables in Matthew 25. It's a powerful passage, one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. Matthew 25, uh, you have the parable of the virgins, you have the parable of the talents, and then you have, finally have the Son of God judging the nations. Uh, look at verse 33. This is a picture of Jesus, end of the age. And he will, see, uh, and he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. You, here, in this scenario, you want to be a sheep. Okay? You want to be a sheep. My sheep hear my voice. You do not want to be a goat at this time. I know today being a goat is the greatest of, stands for acronym, greatest of all time, the goat, LeBron James. It's okay to be that kind of goat, but you don't want to be this goat. <laughs> then the king will say to those on the right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God's been working on heaven for us for a long time. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry? None of these people had ever had a personal meet Jesus like the Apostle Paul did on Damascus. Lord, this is all the way to the future. This will be us someday. Then the righteous say, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, as surely I say to you, as much as you did it to these, the least of my brethren, you did it to me. He's going to say, some of you, you changed your schedule to go visit the hospital. You got a million things to do. You got a report to prepare. And you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make time. If I stay up till 3 a.m., I'm going to go visit that person. Uh, some of you guys can say, you went to visit those kids at Bon Air, and you discipled them. You went and did that. Because I never saw Jesus there. I saw all these other people. Jesus said, you didn't see them, but I was standing there. Isn't that amazing? He goes on. Then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus talks pretty firm, doesn't he? For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me. And I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer in him and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will say to them, as surely I say to you, as much as you did not do it, to the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Heavy stuff, isn't it? I'm glad I'm on the sheep side. How about you? But I'm not just on the sheep side, and you aren't too. We're investing on the sheep side. Let's close with this, because that's what, turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. God doesn't want you just on the sheep side. He wants you investing in that. Seeing, say, Lord, what can I be doing? How can I bring a cup of water in your name? And by the way, I believe that cup of water is also... Uh, symbolic of the gospel itself, that you're bringing living water to people. But it's real, too. It's tangible thing. Let's wrap up with this last bullet point, continue in faith. He says, 
And we desire that each one of you, verse 11, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. There is an end coming, but we have hope. What is hope? It's a joyful expectation. We know that our Redeemer lives. That you do not become sluggish. If Satan can't take you out completely, he will just occupy you with trivial things. Make you sluggish in the faith. Yeah, I did that. I went to church. I did the bare minimum. Sluggish. But imitate those through faith and patience. Man, I like imitating David. I like imitating Moses. I like imitating Paul. Not sluggish in the faith, but fervent in faith. How about you? Those who inherit the promises. Our genuine faith is real, but it has to be fortified. It has to be tended to, to continue to grow. I recently read an article. Uh, this is not an endorsement of the Washington Redskins, folks. But I read an article about Washington Redskins defensive end Ryan Kerrigan and his dedicated health and nutritious, uh, nutrition regimen. I don't know if anyone else read it, but it's an unbelievable the focus he has from early in the morning till the time he hits bed at night and every little thing, three boneless chicken breasts in the morning, uh, time in the ice, box, ice bin, every little detail, all to stay. And it's worked for him. He hasn't missed a game in nine years due to injury. And, and some of that is just good fortune that he wasn't hit the wrong way and all that stuff, and, and he recognizes that. I don't know anything about what he believes in or anything. I'm just saying that uh, his dedication to be the most healthy player he can possibly be has paid dividends from an athletic standpoint. And Paul even says that we have to, we have to train like an athlete, the Scriptures say. We have to uh, plant like a farmer. We have to do these things that actually take intentional fortitude and effort and the Lord will help us. It's not just our own self. We can't, Jesus said, apart from me, you could do nothing, but he'll help us do these things. But it's not just about him. His consistency, his commitment, and all of that growth in his own life helps what? Not just him, it helps what? The team. Everyone else benefits. Do you know when your best people are always available, it's really helpful for everybody? How would you like... How would you appreciate it if a doctor took really good care of himself and was there when you needed him? Right? Not only benefits you, but it benefits a whole bunch of other people too. So your life counts more than you think it does. You're impacting for the good or the negative more than you think you are. As I often say, ever since uh, Sam Nadler said it to me last year, consistency equals maturity. Consistency equals maturity. A mature believer is consistently in the Word, in prayer, breathing it in, breathing it out. Uh, I pray that God would, I pray constantly that God gives us consistent, love-filled believers. Consistent, love-filled believers. You need to be praying to the Lord to bring labors for the vineyard. You, you and I can't manufacture them, but we can pray to God for them. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. But growth and consistency did you know it's not a suggestion by Jesus? It's not a suggestion. It's a requirement. It's a requirement. Again, if your child was not growing, you would not be okay with that. You would not say, hey, who cares? 
I know they're 16, but they're still the size of two, and you know, they, they're still uh, sucking a bottle and all that stuff. And, you know, big deal. No, you would say something's fundamentally wrong, and Jesus would say the same to us, right? Growth is a requirement, Jesus said in John 15, to abide in him. Abide takes consistency. And he says diligent here in the text. Verse 11, the same diligence takes diligence to abide in the Lord. But he also said in John 15, if we abide in him, we'll bear a tiny bit of fruit? No, he says much. Someone, someone knew their Bible out there. Someone said much fruit. If you're in Sunday school, you get a gold star right then. <laughs> it was not a request. This goes back to the rebuke prompted by the Spirit. And back in Hebrews 5.12, the 12th verse, for though by this time many of you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk. You uh, come to need milk again and not solid food. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but Satan is very consistent. Did you know that? How is it that Satan is allowed to be consistent and we say we don't need to be? He's working hard every day. Satan's incredibly consistent. He's very diligent. He works nonstop to destroy people's lives, and we won't be diligent to obey Jesus? Something's wrong. He's doomed to death. We're doomed to life? Should we not have equal commitment to the kingdom of God and to his church and to the saints and to eternity and to unsaved souls? Should we not have the same level of commitment to Jesus as Satan does to destruction? He's committed to it. He's 24-7 committed to diligent work of devouring. The writer knows that even faithful believers filled with the love of Christ and service to him and others are just one trial and one setback and one spiritual nap from drifting away from the Lord. Did you know that? One trial, one setback, one long spiritual nap away from drifting from the Lord. And with that drift and lack of of spiritual diligence, one can end up uh, with a total denial of reality. Total denial, I mean total denial of spiritual reality, where you can be like, I'm good, Jesus is totally fine with my sluggish behavior and my apathetic work when Jesus is not okay with it. Did you know that? Satan's okay with it. He's done his job if you're okay with it. Or a whole lot of doubt can come in I meet Christians sometimes that really doubt their salvation, and they've been doubting it for years. And they're constantly doubting their salvation, and what I invariably find is they're not working in the vineyard. They're not laboring for Christ. They might have used to, and they stopped, and now they're plagued with doubt. He says here, to the full assurance of hope. Do you know God wants to give you full assurance of your salvation? You know when you're fully assured of your salvation, other things will seem small again. I said that earlier. You'll all of a sudden say, this is awesome. I may not have much money in the bank, but I'm saved. <laughs> and you won't be as jealous when everyone else has a brand new car. You won't care. You'll say, that car, my glasses, that car is, uh, <laughs> going to burn. That car is going to burn. I'm okay with my jalopy now. Because you have a mansion in heaven waiting. Assurance is a great thing. Notice that word. A lack of assurance is often a sign we've been resisting our call as a believer. A lack of assurance is often a sign we've been resisting our call. The writer wants assured believers. 
I want to see you assured. Jesus wants to see you assured. The writer of Hebrews wants to see you assured. And mature believers become assured believers. Mature believers become assured believers. In other words, walking in the love and commandments of Christ, we will experience assurance and we'll experience hope. I fully agree with this um, observation from Dr. Al Mohler, which I'll need my glasses for. He says, one of the most important catalysts of spiritual confidence is spiritual fruitfulness. Our faithful activity of Christians fuels our assurance. In other words, when you're walking in the commands of Christ and serving, the Spirit is assuring you, you belong to me, keep growing, let me fill you with joy. If you're not doing the will of God, then all kinds of other doubts and stuff start to come in. Amen? That's the way it works. Don't you want to be faithful? Don't you want to be confident in the Lord, assured by His Spirit, and confident believing His promises? It says right here uh, that uh, through imitating those who are through faith and patience inherit the promises. Confident in the Lord. Seeing your life deeply impacted but also impacting others with hope and help. I know I do. I want, I want to see myself grow in this area. No matter how much I've grown or you've grown, we have a lot of headroom. Did you, do you believe that? We have a lot more headroom. This church, the, the potential in this room, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, is off the charts. We've barely scratched the surface, personally and collectively. I want to close with a comprehensive exhortation from these last few verses. Whatever you and I have done for Christ as um, faithful and diligent, you need to decide, I need to decide, that we're committing to this level to the end. Doesn't it say that? Full assurance of hope to the end. You have to cross the finish line. Amen? The runner has to go through that little line. They break. You've got to finish. We have to finish. Jesus will help us finish, but we have to be committed to finishing. And I don't know what finishing is for you. Might, you might have one more year left in your life. You might have 50 years left in your life. I don't know. But finishing, we have to say, Lord, I'm committed to finishing the race and shoring up those gap areas in my life that I'm not being sluggish, that I'm imitating those who have fought the good fight. Imitate people, those saints that have gone before us. Again, you're, not, you're, you're looking to Jesus, only Jesus, but you do get some, wow, if Elizabeth Elliot can do this, I guess I probably can. If, Charles, if George Mueller can do this, I guess I probably can. If Hudson Taylor can do this, I think because God is not a respecter of person, he'll do the same in your life as he will in mine. Amen? And in the saints that have gone before us, it's why we're, as men, we're studying the life of D.L. Moody, those that grew in the Lord and continue to uh, just live it out all the way till their final breath. Serve Christ and others with that deep gratitude for, of salvation. You need to have a belief that Jesus is going to honor it in your life. Do you believe that? That he's going to honor your faithfulness. Not your perfection. You don't have it. Faithfulness. Consistency. He's going to honor that. Say, I'm going to keep getting into the word. I'm going to continue to pray. Patience. It says patience. I'm going to, I'm going to not be throwing in the towel because I have a bad day or even a bad week. I'm going to put my eyes back on the Lord. I'm going to keep letting the seeds of effort in his name, in his time, in his focus, 
grow according to his will and his spirit. Just close it out. Be ready to endure the difficult seasons. Endure them because you're going to inherit a blessing and promise in the end. Amen? And some of you, I really believe some of you are going to see God do an amazing work by the end of this year that some of you, I've seen you sowing seeds of faith. I've seen you praying. I've seen you saying, I'm waiting on the Lord. You're going to see some, some of you are going to see really amazing things happen now, but some things we're going to have to wait all the way to eternity and God will make it worth it. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for so great a salvation. And Lord, we know that if it's born of you, that there'll be visible fruit that'll come from our life. We know that there's nothing good in us. As Paul said, Lord, he was the chief of sinners. We know that our righteousness is filthy rags, but yet somehow you take us from a black piece of coal and you shape us into an authentic diamond. And yes, we still have imperfections, but you've done a drastic work than what we were deep in the darkness of the ground where you chiseled us and you shaped us and you molded us. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done. But with our heads bowed, I, just, I don't want to take for granted that there may be someone here that says, man, I heard all that. And I don't know that I'm genuinely, truly saved. I don't know if I've ever really said, Jesus, please cleanse me, take my life, wash me, forgive me and just surrendered yourself to him, if that's you, and say, I, I know this message was mostly to believers, but I want to become one. I want to give my life to Christ today. Raise your hand. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone in this room at all, I see that hand. Keep your heads bowed for those that did. Whoever you are, anyone else? Anyone else? I woke up this morning just fired up about the power of the gospel. I haven't been able to stop since Sam preached it last week. I, God's like, you've forgotten. And I, and I, I preach the word constantly. God said, but you've forgotten that my power is power. He doesn't need me or you, but he does look for us to be yielded. I'm going to pray with this one that has their hand raised. Just in your heart, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for seeking me by name. Thank you for calling me by name. Thank you for dying for my sins, suffering, bleeding, every drop of blood. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer, Lord, with your death, your burial, and resurrection. I'm deciding right now to follow you, Jesus, all the way to the end. Lord, help me keep that which I've committed Wash me, forgive me, write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.